Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. Harvest Lakeshore is a redeemed family who loves God and loves others. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. It's good to see you today, and uh, welcome, Harvest family. Um, uh, as Wes mentioned, mentioned a moment ago, uh, uh, God has given us the opportunity to uh, share the word over these next several weeks looking forward. And uh, so today, uh, as you already know, we're going to be in Psalm 139. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we're going to be in Psalm 90. I've uh, been going through a series of psalms on some of the weeks that I've preached over the course of this calendar year. So we're going to wrap that up a week from today, looking at Psalm 90, and then uh, in kind of uh, in conversation with and in conjunction with the uh, the leaders of our church, uh, we're going to launch into the book of Ephesians starting on um, um, the 20th of November. So if you want to be looking ahead, if you're kind of looking at uh, uh, maybe something you'd like to do in your personal study or that kind of thing, your personal quiet time, um, and you're kind of not sure where to go with that, what direction to go with that, uh, maybe it'd be great to just start in Ephesians. Because uh, we'll be doing that together, uh, Lord willing, uh, starting on the, uh, in two weeks from today, on the 20th of, of this month. I also want to encourage you that uh, hopefully when you came in today, you got a, a little outline, all right? A little fill-in-the-blank thing. Uh, Wes is frequently reminding me that I'm old, and uh, old people use paper, all right? So, uh, so if you got one of these, great. If you didn't get one of these, we've got a couple of young men that are going to help us with this. So they've got them in the back. If you didn't get one of these, just stick your hand up in the air or something, and uh, they've got them, and they'll get them to you, but maybe you all got them. Okay, good. Anyways, so we'll have those today. We'll have those next week. Uh, we'll have those as we launch into Ephesians. Uh, just something that if you like to take some notes on it and uh, you enjoy using pen and paper, um, then you can do that, and uh, we'll want to provide that, uh, that for you. All right. Well, let's launch into this today. I don't know how much of a, of a news person you are, how much you enjoy or like or follow the news, but uh, a week ago Monday, it was the 24th of October, uh, not very long ago, a 19-year-old young man walked into a high school in St. Louis, Missouri. It was the same high school that he had graduated from just one year earlier. He walked into that high school that morning with a weapon that he had brought with him, and that morning he took the lives of a 15-year-old student, a 61-year-old teacher, and he wounded several others before being killed by police who were responding to the shooting. In the aftermath of that tragic event, and it surely was a tragic event, as all those kind of events are, but in the aftermath of that tragic event, uh, police found his vehicle. And on the front passenger seat of his vehicle, there was a handwritten note, probably something that he had just written down, maybe just hours before, maybe just moments before he walked into that school. And among other things, that note, that handwritten note that he left on the seat of the car said this, and I quote, I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I've never had a girlfriend. I've never had a social life. I've been an isolated loner my entire life. I am the perfect storm for a mass shooter. Now, that is a bit of an extreme example, I understand. But I want to ask you this question. Do you ever feel kind of like that guy? Do you ever feel kind of like a nobody? 
You ever feel like your life is really going nowhere, maybe because of relationship issues, maybe because of job issues, maybe because of financial issues or health issues or or just church issues, whatever it might be? Do you ever feel like a nobody? Do you ever feel like your life is going nowhere? Maybe in the middle of the night and you wake up and the house is quiet or the apartment is quiet or whatever, you're just laying there in bed and you're thinking to yourself, "Um, you know, my life is just not going anywhere. Or maybe you're, you're driving in the car, and it's a, a road that you're driving down that's familiar. There's not much traffic, so you don't have to pay a whole lot of attention. And your mind is just wandering as you're driving. And again, you kind of think to yourself, where is my life going? It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I just feel so alone. You start thinking where your life is headed. You start thinking about what you've done, what you haven't done. You start trying to add up what your life amounts to. And for some reason in your head, it just seems to come up short. It just comes up short. Maybe you feel like a nobody because you don't think that you become a somebody until you have uh, gained a certain position or maybe until you've gained certain possessions. So because you don't have the position, you don't have the possessions, you just sort of feel like your life isn't going anywhere and you're just kind of a, a, a nobody. Maybe you feel like until you get married or until you have a child, or until you accomplish something great. Uh, Only when you realize that in your life, only then and then, or only then and there, will you actually feel like a somebody. Maybe your parents, or your child, or your spouse, your classmates, your boss, or some other significant person in your life just doesn't appreciate you. They just have no, there's just no space in their life for you. Has the thought ever crossed your mind, if I was gone a month later, would anyone notice? Would anybody just, anybody but maybe a few close family members, would anybody notice if I was gone a month later? So what do we do when we feel like we're a nobody? What do we do when we feel like our life is going nowhere? What do we do? Well, if that thought has ever gone through your mind, and maybe it has, maybe it's just been a fleeting thought kind of in and out in a hurry, or maybe you come here this morning and that's a thought that's been troubling your mind for a long, long time, well, let me tell you today based upon the truth of God's word, that you are not a nobody, your life is not going nowhere, that you do matter because God says so. God says so. And also because our self-perception and our our estimation of our own worth and purpose can sometimes be misleading. Sometimes we listen to the wrong messages. Sometimes we take in the wrong information. We don't listen to God. We We don't own into the truth of God. So sometimes because we listen to the wrong message, we, we hold to the wrong thinking, the wrong perception. That's why we need the hope of God's word. That's why we need the hope of God's revealed truth to get the true picture, the accurate picture, the right picture of who we are and where our lives are actually going. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to look at the message of Psalm 139. Because in this psalm, God gives us several truths that help us to see ourselves truthfully, that help us to see ourselves accurately, that help us to see ourselves uh, as God really sees us. So before we look at those truths this morning, let's just bow our heads together, if you would. And let's just spend a few moments personally, quietly asking God to open up our mind, open up our hearts to what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do through the Word of God today to help us understand and own God's truth about who we are and where our lives are going. Let's just have that moment of quiet worship.
Father, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit, for the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is the one that uh, inspired the authors to write the Word of God, that it is the Holy Spirit of God that illumines our minds, that opens our hearts to both understand and want to follow the Word of God. We thank you for who you are and all that you provided for us. And so, Lord, might our, might our thoughts be attentive today. Might our hearts be open today for what you have for us And Father, I particularly pray today for anyone that's maybe listening at home or on the road or maybe those that are here in this building, this auditorium this morning that are listening, and they walked in here today and they just have this overwhelming cloud over their life and they just feel like they're a nobody going nowhere. God, speak to them specifically, very purposefully today from your word. Father, give them hope. Might they grab tightly to your truth. Might they find hope in your promises today. Encourage our hearts today through your teaching. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Well, as we said just a moment ago, Psalm 139 is a psalm that God gave us that is filled with truths that help us to see ourselves as God sees us. So let's look at those this morning. Here's truth number one. God knows me. God knows me. Look at verse one. The psalmist writes this, O Lord, you have searched me. And you have known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Now, I, noticed, I know, I, know I, I added a few use there, a few personal pronouns there, but to drive home the point that there are nine references just in these opening five verses of Psalm 139 that tell us in different ways that God knows us and that he knows us very personally. He knows us very, very intimately. He knows our fears. He knows our concerns. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives, our dreams. He knows our our frustrations, our hurts. He knows our past, our present, and our future. God knows us. God knows us. Even when we feel like a nobody was going nowhere, God knows us. He knows how we feel. He knows what we're going through. And not only does God know us, but we're told in these opening five verses that his knowledge is integrated with his love. When David writes in verse 5 that God laid his hand upon me, he's actually referring to an Old Testament uh, tradition where when a father was about to die, he would gather all of his children around him and he would take his hands and lay his hands on the heads of his children and he would speak words of encouragement into their lives, speak words of blessing into their lives, speak words of protection and promise and love and hope into their lives. So when David says, you lay your hand upon me, the way the original audience would have read this was, I have God's love in my life. I have his hope, his promises in my life. I have his protection and blessing over my life. So not only is God's, does God know me, but his knowledge of me is couched in his love. It is immersed in his concern. It is enveloped in his promises and his protection. God knows me. He knows me. Here's the second truth. God is pursuing me. God is pursuing me. 
I want us to notice as we come to verse 6 to 12 how David the psalmist responds to his own awareness of God's knowledge. He's just talked about that knowledge in verses 1 to 5 and how aware he is of that knowledge. Now he comes to verses 6 to 12, and he basically outlines for us um, his response to his awareness of that knowledge. In verse 6, he writes, such knowledge that he just talked about in the first five verses is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. So his first response in, in, his, in terms of his awareness of God's knowledge for him is to be overwhelmed as well as to, be, to recognize that it is incomprehensible. He says here in the text that not only is God's knowledge of him wonderful, he speaks of it as too wonderful. It is so amazing, so high, so wonderful. It is too wonderful. It's an overwhelming wonderful. And then not only is it a high knowledge, but it's so high, he says, I can't attain to it. I don't care how, I, how, high, how high I climb, how many mountains I, I get to the top of. I don't care where I am, what pinnacle I'm at. It's still too high for me. It is wonderful and overwhelming. It is compre incomprehensible because it is so high. So as he thinks about his awareness of God's knowledge, his first response is to say that that knowledge is overwhelming and incomprehensible. And then his second response is probably more likely to be what, how you and I would respond as we think about God's knowledge of us. If God knows everything, then what does that mean? Well, it means that God knows everything, right? He sees everything. He knows everything. He's aware of everything. He knows all the secrets. So when somebody knows all the secrets, what do we typically want to do? I don't know about you, but I want to run. I want to hide. I want to get away from that person that knows everything. And that's his second response. He writes in verse 8, I'm sorry, he writes in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? His second response is, God, I want to get away from you. I want to flee from you because you know too much. You've got too much information. But the problem is, God isn't going to let us run away. God isn't going to let us escape. God is pursuing us. When he says, when the psalmist says, where can I go from your, your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? It's actually a rhetorical question. And the answer is obvious. The answer is nowhere. We can't escape from God. We can't escape from him physically. We can't escape from him geographically. We can't escape from him emotionally or, or spiritually. We can't run from him. There are no escape routes. And he goes on to talk about that in verse 8. He says, if I ascend to heaven, guess what? You're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, guess what? You're there. If I take the winds of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now, how is that possible for God? How can God be everywhere at all times present at any moment? Well, he describes that even in more detail in verse 11 and 12. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. The point that he's trying to make is the reason I can't escape from God, no matter how far I run to the east or west, or how high I go or low I go, or no matter to how dark of a place I find myself, or how bright of a place I find myself, the reason I can't ever get away from God is because God is in a different category altogether. He's in a category where darkness and light are the same thing. He's not like us. You know, we tend to think about God as sort of... Um, a human that is sort of supersized, right? 
So when we think about God being wise or intelligent, we sort of think of somebody in our head that is really a smart person. And we think, well, I think of that smart person, and God is like a thousand times smarter than that really smart person. Or when we think about God being loving, you know, we think to ourselves, well, I, I think of this person, and this person is really loving, and I think God is just like a thousand times more loving than that person. No, that's not correct at all. That's wrong. God is not the best of humanity magnified. He is not the best of humanity supersized. He is totally different. He is in a category all by himself. That's why we can never flee from him. That's why he is, we can never get away from him. No matter how far, how high, how low, how dark, how light, nowhere can we get away from him. And what is his desire in pursuing us? Well, look at verse 10. He says, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall lay hold of me. This is the third time in 12 verses he's talked about the hand of God. In verse 5, it was the laying of his hand on me and that idea of communicating encouragement, communicating blessing, communicating promise, communicating love, communicating hope. Now he talks about the hand of God leading me. So not only laying his hand upon me for promise and hope, but his hand wants to direct my life. And not only does he want to direct my life, but your right hand holds me. He wants to protect me and hold me in his grip, hold me in his hands. That's why he's pursuing me. You know, I don't know about you, but when my mom or my dad knew a little too much about me and I tried to escape, when they found me, it usually wasn't a good thing, right? When they found me, it's like, oh, there you are. So what have you been up to, you know? What did you do to your sister? You know, was usually the question, you know? But when God finds me, it's not questioning how, what I've done or how bad. He says, I'm here because I want to lay my hand on you of blessing. I want to lay my hand on you of, 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 of promise and hope. I, I want to guide you with my hand. So when he finds me as he pursues me, it's there to direct my life. It's there to care for me, to lift me up in his hand. He pursues me. He is pursuing me. So when you and I feel like a nobody, we need to remind ourselves that God understands how we feel because he knows us completely. We're never outside of his knowledge. We need to remember that we are wanted by him in a very special way. We have his, his, his blessing on our lives. We have his hand directing our lives. We have his hand caring for us and holding us up. We need to remember that we are wanted in a very special way, that he is constantly pursuing us. And the truth is he's leading us and directing us and holding us because he wants to shelter us and provide for us and meet all of our needs. It's a wonderful thing when we know somebody is pursuing us and their motive and their desire is good for us. Now, I'm, I'm going to date myself just a little bit here, but uh, maybe if you're um, somewhere near to my age, um, you can remember that before the time of social media, uh, before the time of, of cell phones or really anything electronic, there was this little, um, this little routine that took place sometimes when we were in junior high. And it went something like this. Uh, a group of girls would come up to a boy and say, well, well we know somebody that would kind of like you, and they might sort of like you if they knew that you like sort of like them. And you'd look at them, and you'd, you'd talk with your friends, and you'd send a little, little group of your friends over there, and, and they would talk to this girl, and they'd say, well, you know, we have a friend over here, and, and he would kind of sort of like you if he kind of knew, like, you sort of liked him. And then 24 hours later, you're going steady, and you're 12, right? But, you know, the weirdness of that, and again, we do that probably, I mean, I don't know, y'all do that. I don't do that anymore. Uh, I've been captured, and I'm good with that. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, 
there's just something about being pursued, right? I mean, there's just something about being wanted, right? Um, or, or maybe some of you can picture it this way. I, 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 I'm, I'm a horrible athlete, okay? I, I don't, I don't, I'm not athletic at all, okay? Um, but maybe you can remember that, you know, time where there was a pickup game going on at the local ball field or something, and, uh, you know, they, they kind of had the two captains of the teams, and you, a bunch of kids are all lined up, and somebody looks out and says, I want, I want you for my team. It just feels good to be wanted, right? It's so good that somebody's pursuing you that wants you on their team. I can remember, and maybe you can relate to this one a little bit better, but I can remember after, after four years of college and, and four years of seminary, finally realizing that I need to get a job. You know, we got to start paying some bills here. And so you start applying for jobs at churches, you know, and you have interviews with churches and you communicate with churches. And finally, the day comes when, when one of those potential employers, one of those churches calls on the phone and says, we'd like to hire you. And there's just something about an employer saying, we would like you to work for us. We would like you to come and be our pastor. There's just something about being pursued. You know, maybe you never had that girl or that guy in junior high have those feelings towards you. Or maybe you, you, you've never really felt that thing, like, I'd like you to be on my team. Well, listen to this. Just stop and think about this. Someone far beyond the cutest guy or the cutest girl Someone far beyond the best ball players, someone far beyond the greatest employer, someone far beyond the best human being wants you, wants you. And he will not relent in his pursuit of you. He will not relent in his pursuit of your life. He doggedly pursues us. He gives us all the opportunity to accept his pursuing love. That's what God's telling us here. He says, there's no way to escape my pursuit of you. There's nowhere you can run. I don't care how dark it is, God says. I don't care how light it is. I don't care how high you go, how deep you go. I don't care how far this way or that way you go. You can't get away from my pursuit. You can't do it. So are we beginning to see how important it is to get an accurate biblical perception of ourself? We're not a nobody in God's eyes. He knows us. He wants us. He is pursuing us. And it actually gets better it actually gets better. The third truth to remember when we feel like a nobody whose life is going nowhere is this. God says, the way I have made you is awesome. That's truth number three. God says, the way I have made you is awesome. Look at verse 13. He writes this, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, when I was being intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, there are sometimes phrases in Scripture that it's um, it's hard to to really kind of get our arms around them because we just don't phrase things that way. And and here in, in the verses that we just read a moment ago that you follow along as I was reading, it talks about our being fearfully and wonderfully made. We don't typically use phrases like that in our typical language or, or everyday conversation. So what would be today's vernacular? In today's vernacular, what would be a close equivalent to being fearfully and wonderfully made? There's probably different words, but I think this one would be true. The way God has made me is awesome. The way God has made me is awesome. The way God has made you is awesome. It is awesome. God didn't screw up when he made you. 
You may look in the mirror sometimes, or you may absorb messages into your mind and in your heart that, that tell you that God screwed up or make you feel like God screwed up. But God is saying today, I didn't screw up. When I made you, I made you awesome. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. Now, this isn't saying that I'm perfect. It's also not saying, you know, God, I'm pretty awesome. You're kind of lucky to have me. Okay, we're, we're not saying that. Okay, God's not saying that. It simply means that when we look at how God has made us, we should be in awe. We should be in awe because of the way God made us. Now, let me kind of uh, illustrate that a little bit here. Um, we, uh, Lynn and I, we, we, have a, we have an 18-year-old cat. Um, his name is Chester. Um, he just showed up one day when he was about four to six weeks old, just showed up on a pile of wood outside the backyard in the house of the house, and uh, he kind of adopted us, and that was November of 18 years ago, and here we are today. And uh, so Chester's 18 years old. Chester is deaf now, so he doesn't hear anything. Uh, which is kind of good for him because he was always sort of a scaredy cat, so actually it's better for him not to be afraid. Uh, Chester can't jump anymore, or not very far anymore. So uh, recognizing he loves to be up on the couch, he loves to be up on the bed, but he can't jump up on the couch or jump up on the bed anymore. Um, I I had some leftover scraps of wood down in the basement and some uh, leftover little chunks of carpet remnant. So I went down in the basement one day to to help Chester out, and I just grabbed those scraps of wood, and I I just kind of cut them up, and I I just sort of screwed them together and and cut the piece of carpet and kind of put it on the top to make Chester some steps so he can get up on the couch still, and he can get up on bed. And uh, if you would ask the people in our small group, they've seen those steps that I made. And they would look at them, and they would say a couple of things about the things that I made. They would say, Mark, those are pretty mediocre. They would say, Mark, um, not a lot of thought went into making those. They would say, you just sort of threw those together. They would say, not much quality about those. And they would be right. But you know, that's never true about what God makes. God doesn't make mediocre. He doesn't throw things together. We're not made out of scraps. We're not just a a quick thought. Uh Uh-uh. No, God tells us, I know you. I'm pursuing you. God says, the way I have made you is absolutely awesome. It is absolutely awesome. God didn't make us with a half-hearted effort. That's true of stuff that I make. It's probably true of some of the things that you have even made at times. That's never true. Never true about what God has made. He sees me, he sees you as something very special. Each of us is the pinnacle of his creation. I mean, look again at verses 13, 14, and 15. Look at the words that God uses. He says, I formed you, I wove you, I made you, I skillfully wrought you. There is an awesomeness in the way that God has made each and every one of us. And if we're here today and we're a child of God, if we have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we're told that we are a new creation, not just an original creation, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, and that we are his workmanship, and the word that is used there, as you've probably heard before, means that we are his masterpiece. So not only is the way that he has made us awesome, but if we are in Christ, he is continuing to make us not from just being awesome, but being his very masterpiece, the pinnacle of all of his creation. So God was personally involved in the creation of each one of us, no matter what the circumstances might have been surrounding that creation. His handiwork, 
His craftsmanship, according to his word, his truth, is written all over us. He intricately made us with a unique look. He intricately made us with a unique personality. He intricately made us with unique feelings and gifts and abilities, and he treasures each and every one of us. This is part of the reason why we treasure human life. We recognize that God has built into his creation of each human life a sanctity. He has built into it a sacredness. He has built into it a blessedness at all stages, before birth, after birth, no matter the disability, no matter the limitation, no matter the ravages of disease or the ravages of age. The truth is, God says, the way I have made you from beginning to end is awesome. It's awesome. Those are God's words. That's God's truth. Here's the fourth truth. God says, I have a plan just for you. God has a plan just for me. A plan just for me. Look at verse 16. He says, your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance. In your book, God, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He's formed them all. And it's interesting that the word that he uses here for form when he says the days that were formed for me, or maybe in your translation it reads the days that were ordained for me, that is the exact same word that's used in Genesis 1 when it tells us that God formed or fashioned man out of the dust of the earth. So it's not only telling us, verse 16 is not only telling us that God knows all of our days in terms of how many there are, What it's actually telling us is that God has uniquely fashioned each and every one of our days. He has custom made each and every one of our days uniquely for us. I formed each day. I ordained each day. I fashioned each day. So it's more than just I know how many you're going to have. God says, no, I got a specific plan, a designated purpose, unique possibilities for each and every day, each and every day. God created us for a special role every day with a special plan, a special purpose, every day with a reason for its own, just for us, just for you personally, just for me personally. But you know, there's an important reality that we need to keep in mind, and that reality is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 20, where Jesus says this. He says, behold, I stand at the door And I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. In other words, when it comes to God's plan for my life, God doesn't just barge in and cram his plan down my throat. That's not how God works. He doesn't doesn't do that. We can sign up for God's plan or we can follow our own plan. We can choose autonomy or we can choose his authority. Either I'm going to be Lord of my own life or he's going to be Lord of my life. That's a choice that we make. Now, it starts off by making a choice to trust him as my savior, right? By coming to the place where no longer do I want to run my life, that I want to bring my life under his authority, that I recognize that as a sinner, I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. I've tried the autonomy thing. And now I want to come to Christ because it's the only way I can find forgiveness and cleansing. And once I've recognized that and come to the place where I've been rescued by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and all he accomplished for me, then each day going forward, I want to learn more and more and practice more and more what it means to live under his authority. And again, he's not going to cram that down my throat. Every day comes with its own RSVP. 
Every day I can accept or reject his invitation. This is why we must regularly stop and listen. We must yield over and over again and again to his leading. Every day when I get up in the morning and I head out the door to go to school or I head out the door to go to work or I head out the door to go shopping or wherever I'm going that day, every day he's standing there. I'd love to go to school with you today. Love to, love to go to work with you today. Love to go shopping with you today. Love to go when you go out with friends today. I'd love to go to you today. I've got a plan for you today. It's unique, special just for you. It's been formed. It's been ordained. It's been uniquely fashioned just for you. I'm standing at the door of your life. I'm knocking. I'd love to come in. I'd love to do it with you together today. I'd love to be a part of that. So truth number four is God has a plan just for me. Here's truth number five. God thinks about me constantly. He thinks about me constantly. Now, when we come to verse 17 and 18, we got to remember that they are in the context of verses 1 to 16. So when he talks about here about God's thoughts, he's talking about God's thoughts about each one of us. All right, that's the context. So in verse 17, we read, how precious to me are your thoughts. And I think we could rightfully add about me, O God. How vast is the sum of them? If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. In other words, every morning when I wake up or every time, you know, I get up from a nap or a rest or whatever it might be, when I come, when I come to consciousness again, when I wake up again, God's still there thinking about me. He never stopped thinking about me. Each and every one of us, each and every one of us is on God's mind 60 minutes out of every single hour. Every one of us is uniquely on God's mind 24 hours out of every single day. Every one of us is on God's mind uh, seven days out of every week. Every one of us is on God's mind 365 days out of every year. We're on God's mind every day of every decade, of, of every, every year of our life. We're on God's mind. We're never out of his sight. We can't run from his presence. And we're never out of his thoughts. And again, remember, his presence and his thoughts are, I lay my hand on you. I want to direct you with my hands. I want to hold you in my hands. That's what his thoughts come with. That's what his pursuits of us come with. That's what he wants to do in our lives. He's thinking specifically about you right now. He's thinking personally about you right now. He's thinking about your decisions right now. He's thinking about your fears right now. He's thinking about your, your feelings, your thoughts, your concerns, the things you're carrying, the struggles you're facing, the temptations you're battling. He's thinking about you right now. Right now. Right now. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about me. So whenever we start feeling like a nobody, when we start feeling like, our career is going nowhere, or our relationships are going nowhere, or school is going nowhere, or just health is going nowhere, or life in general just seems to be going nowhere, that's the time to stop and remind ourselves of the truths of Psalm 139. God says, I know you. God says, I'm pursuing you. God says, I made you. I have a purpose for each day of your life. And since that's true, God says, you have never been, you are not now, you never will be a nobody, and your life, there's absolutely no way your life can ever be going nowhere. It's not even possible for that to be the case. Not even possible. 
So now you may be thinking, well, Mark, um, if all that's true, then why is my life stuck where it's stuck right now? If all that's true, if God is always thinking fondly of me, then why do I feel so unloved? If God is pursuing me, then why do I feel so alone? If God wants me to experience the fulfillment of my life's purpose, then why can't I see it? In other words, we look at all this truth and we say, God, uh, just a moment here, why is this not working for me, right? It's an honest question. I believe it's the question that David asked at this point in the writing of this psalm because all of that brings us to truth number six. And truth number six is this. God's world or God's creation is darkened by sin. God's world, God's creation is darkened by sin. You note in verse 19 to 24, these closing several verses represent a very abrupt shift. But that shift reminds us of two very, very important factors. Here's factor number one. God's goodness to us and plans for us are continually being worked out in a world of opposition. I mean, look at what David writes in verse 19. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. In other words, there's people out there that aren't on the same team as us. They're not working on the same path with us. They're not working on the same plan with us. Oh, God, that you would slay the opposition. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. They're not giving me this truth. They're giving me false information. They're, they're giving me things that aren't right, malicious, things with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I hate those who hate, or, or do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. So we've got to realize, as we look at all these truths of, of verses 1 to 18 of Psalm 139, that all of these things about God's goodness and his plans for us are being worked out in a world of opposition. Not everything in this world is on the same page with God. There's competition in our lives for whether or not we're going to line up with God's purposes or whether we're going to line up with the false influences of our world that seek to undermine God's truth and what he tells us in Psalm 139. So every day is a battle for our heart. Every day is a battle for my mind. Am I going to buy into, own into, accept, believe in, build my life upon the truth of God? Or am I going to own into, buy into the message that I'm getting from outside of God's word? There's a world of opposition out there. Not everybody's on the same page here. We need to understand that and recognize that. That's why we look at all this stuff and we say, God, why isn't it working? Because there's a battle going on. There's a fight for your heart for your mind, for your life, for your future that's going on. So we've got to understand that. There's competition out there. And that's why it is sometimes so hard for you and me to see our lives from God's perspective and to cooperate with his plan for our lives. And unfortunately, sometimes that, that opposition works its way into our thinking. It works its way into our hearts. It works our, its way into our actions and into our wills. And that's why the second factor that David points out here as he ends this psalm is this. I need God to search me daily. Because I know God's got a message, but I know the culture has another message. And it seems to creep in. It creeps into my mind and into my heart. So I need God to search me every day. And that's why he closes. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. 
See if there be any of that opposition way, that grievous way, that against the way of God in me, and then lead me in the way of truth. Lead me in the way that lasts. Lead me in the way that is eternal. Lead me in the everlasting way. So you and I, we must learn to ask God to help us to see those parts of our lives that will destroy us if we leave them unattended. Those things that have crept into our minds, those lies, those things that have crept into our hearts, into our wills that are against God's purpose and against God's plan and against God's truth, we got to ask God for help because those kind of things are out to destroy us. They are in opposition to God. And then we must invite God to examine us because it's amazing how a few small things and a few small sins and little lapses of attention seek, uh, uh, work their way into our hearts and work their way in our minds and slowly but sure us, surely draw us away from God's truth. The fact is you and I don't always live in the light of God's truths. We don't always live in the light of the fact that he has made us in an awesome way. We don't always live in the light of the fact that God values us, that God is pursuing us for our good that God has a plan for each of us that will bring us purpose and joy. That's why we have to turn on God's light, dig deep into his word. We have to choose to believe what he says, and we've got to believe that every day. He stands at the door and knocks. The question is, am I going to let him in? What am I going to, I'm going to let something in today. What am I going to let in? What am I going to give time for in my life? Folks, I think a lot of us feel like nobody's because the standard we use for evaluating ourselves is one that is set by the culture we're immersed in or by some of the people that surround us. We fail to see ourselves according to God's truth. We fail to see ourselves according to God's standards. So how do we change that? How do we change that? Well, at the bottom of your set of notes, there's just four simple action steps. These are just kind of baby steps. They're just kind of little things, but maybe they can help. Number one, I must continually be learning what God says about me and choose to believe it. This isn't a once and done kind of thing, right? You know, this isn't like, you know, last night in the World Series and Houston won the sixth game and now baseball's over and it's all settled and we're the champs. And now walking with Christ, it's, it's not like a one and done thing. It's not like the sixth game and we won it and it's over. No, it is an ongoing thing, continually be learning what God says about me and choosing to believe it. Secondly, I must choose where my loyalty will be, either lined up with God or lined up with the world. Every day there's a fight for my heart and your heart. And who am I going to give my heart to? Who am I going to align myself with? Where's my loyalty going to be today? He wants to go with us to work. He wants to go with us to school. He wants to walk with us, you know, in all the circumstance of our life. He has a plan and a purpose for that. He stands at the door and he knocks, but he's not going to cram it down my throat. Each day is a battle, opposition, God's truth, my autonomy, God's authority. Every day that goes on. Number three, I must radically limit the input of the world's message while saturating myself with God's message. Folks, there is a reason why here at Harvest Lakeshore and why you hear it so many times why we harp on small groups it's not because we're trying to fill up another afternoon of your life or another evening of your life or another day of your life, no. Because we recognize that we can't do this alone. We can't just come on Sunday morning or, or maybe you're at home just listening to this and, and you're not even showing up physically for church anymore. And you're just sort of winging it there at home on your own, you know. 
Or maybe we just come here for an hour on Sunday thinking, that's all I need is one hour of God's truth and the rest of the hundred and whatever hours there are in the week, you know, the culture kind of gets that time. I give God one hour. We can't make it when we do that. The reason we, we encourage small groups is because we, we, well, it's not up on the screen, but it's on one of the slides. We're a redeemed family, right? We're a redeemed family that want to love God and love others. We need others to love on us, to help us learn to love God, to help us walk with God. We're, we're family. We're redeemed together. We get into small groups because we need each other. We need to share with each other, encourage each other, hold each other, you know, talk about God's truth together with each other. I'm encouraging you. If you're not in that, get in it. Or maybe you're a young person today, and, uh, you know, you have this litany of things that, that go on during your week, and, and youth group is just somewhere on the list. And unfortunately, more often than not, youth group gets pushed to the bottom of the list. And somehow we think that as a young person that we can just wing it. We can make it through school. Maybe we have a part-time job. We can make it through a part-time job, work through homework. Maybe we're playing a sport or something like that or some extracurricular activity. And we just think to ourselves, I can handle all this. I give God an hour on Sunday morning. I'm listening to the message today. We can get it. We can't. There's a reason we need peers, godly peers, there's a reason as a young person, put youth group at the top of the list, not the bottom of the list. Don't put it halfway down the list. Start it with it, you know, this is on the list, period. And I know there's activities. I know that we, we, we raise kids. You know, I get there's competing things and that sort of stuff. But there's also competing things for your heart. And that's, that's where the most important competition is taking place. So I've got to build into my life things where I'm connecting with other young people. And, and I'm, I'm connecting, we're encouraging each other and praying for each other and lifting each other up. And we're studying the word in the middle of the week so that it builds on what I got Sunday. Now I get a, an uplift on Wednesday and I can continue through the rest of my week. It's important for us, right? It's necessary. And here's number four. I must meditate on and memorize Psalm 139. Perhaps the simplest action step or the most important maybe action step we could take this week is this, just to go back to this text. Go back to it tomorrow. We can go back to it on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Just read it again and read it again and read it again. And on the, on, on the backside of our, our, our little notes that we were taking this morning, just, just begin to jot some things down as I read through it this week. What's God teaching me? Well, what's he telling me? You say, Mark, I, I'm not good at memorizing. Okay, then just meditate. Say, I can't memorize the whole chapter. Memorize one verse, you know? Write it down on paper. That's <laughs> what the old people use, all right? Write it down on paper, that one verse, you know? Or highlight it on your phone app where you have the Bible or, or whatever we use for a quiet time. You know, just have it there. Say, that's the verse I'm going to grab onto this week. I'm going to hold on to God's truth this week. I'm going to meditate on that. Think about that. Memorize that. You find yourself here today and you're feeling a little bit like a nobody, and your life is going nowhere. Psalm 139, God says, you've never been a nobody, and your life will never be going nowhere because I made you. I am pursuing you. The way I made you is awesome. I have a plan for your life, and I know it's being worked out in a world of opposition, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in what? The world. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the things that you teach us in your word. Thank you for this, this amazing psalm that David gives to us 
Lord, I don't, I don't know what was going through David's heart at the moment that he wrote this or, or over the days or weeks that he penned this and put this down. But Lord, he was obviously struggling, struggling with his life and where it was headed and what was going on. And he comes to this and he gives this to us. And here, you know, a couple thousand years later, we're, in fact, 3,000 years later or more, we're still hanging on to this, Lord. It's still teaching us and encouraging us. So use your word today, Lord, to change our thinking. Use your word today to, um, to transform our hearts. For somebody here today, Lord, that is deeply struggling, God, we just lift them up today. Or maybe, Lord, we know somebody that's deeply struggling. Might we reach out to them today? Might we share with them these truths from God's word, reminding them, Lord, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We thank you for your truth today. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. If you have found this content helpful, consider sharing the episode with friends or leave us a rating and review. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. You are loved.